Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. I know that some of you are um, anxious now because you're like, it's 25 past 6 and he's only starting his sermon now. Um, so I'm just going to disarm that anxiety and say to you that I, that I plan to speak for shortly only. Um, so it's all good. I am, um, I, I know, um, Stefan's side of, uh, Stefan's, sorry, my name's Stefan, so I keep on, and usually Stefan is spelled P-H, and mine's F, and it's Stefan, but he's F, but it's Stefan, so it's all very confusing, but I know, I know his side of the story pretty well, um, I don't, I, I didn't know Daniela's side of the story, actually, not much about it at all, and, um, and I don't ever remember you sharing with me the, the word around Abram and Isaac, um, but that's what I had on my heart to preach about tonight. So we're, um, I'm sharing out of Genesis 22, um, because I had this week and last week, I just, I kept on, um, in my mind's eye, I kept on just seeing this, this picture of, of these hands that are, you know, like when you grab onto something so tightly, like you grab on and you hold on for dear life, like you cannot let go and your knuckles start to whiten. And um, I just kept on seeing that picture. I was just like, just saw this hand that was, this fist that was gripped so tightly and so desperate and so clinging that the knuckles were white. And, um, and I was just like, Lord, what is this all about? What, is this, what does this mean? It feels like it's coming up all the time. And, and I felt like um, the Holy Spirit lead me to the, to the story of Abraham and Isaac um, in Genesis 22. And so, so that's what I want to share with you tonight. And I know that like many of us would have grown up in church, um, even if it was a different denomination. Um, if you grew up in church or in a Christian environment, you'll know the, the story of Abraham and Isaac. It's one of the, I mean, it's like Bible, you know, Sunday school, day one, Jesus and the fish, and then day two, Abraham and Isaac, you know. <laughs> Um, so you'll know that story, and, and when we know it well, it's easy to become familiar and to become desensitized, actually, to what the story is all about. And so I want you to encourage tonight just to listen with a fresh mind. Um, obviously, there's so much in that story, and I'll be looking at it from a specific perspective tonight. But um, think about the fact that, that God called Abram to move away from his family, Right, so he was living in a certain part of the world with his family, his ancestors, and his siblings, and his broader family. And God said, come out from under them and move away. I'm going to take you to a new place. So already, he's cut off from his just like natural family, his uncles and his aunts and all those things. And then God makes a covenant with him, and he says, Abram, I will make you a father of nations. I will give you descendants as the sand on the seashore. That's quite a lot of descendants, would you agree? Like the sand on the seashore. Um, I mean, just think, about, just think about like a one meter by one meter on your favorite beach, one meter deep, digging that out and counting the grains of sand. And this is like all the sand in the ocean. Like that's the descendants that he had promised Abraham and that he would make him the father of nations. And... Um, and then nothing for quite a long time. And then, um, you know, with, uh, with Sarah's poor advice, 
they tried to force the promise, and Abram slept with his, one of his servants, and Ishmael was born. But that was not the promise that God had given, and that was not the lineage through which Abram would become a father of nations and have descendants as the sand of the seashore. And, um, and then they became really, really old. Um, and when Abram was 100 years old, 100 years, like how many people do you know that have lived for 100 years? And how fruitful are their loins, do you think? <laughs> I mean, imagine like your great-grandfather and your great-grandmother. Oh, oh, <laughs> imagine them having a child. Just imagine them holding like an infant, you know, like a baby, and it's theirs, okay? That was not me, that was all you. Um, but that is a crazy thought. They were, he was 100 years old, and when he was 100, Sarah fell pregnant, or, or Isaac was born when he was 100. So after 100 years, after he moved away, received the promise, they received this one boy, and then I can just imagine, like, Abraham, like, you know, like, around Isaac, like, this is my legacy. This one person is, like, represents the descendants, and me being the father of nations, and, like, climbing, he's climbing up a tree, or running on a cliff, or whatever, just, like, trying to protect that boy that's his legacy, you know, through which all of these promises that God had given him and that he was waiting for so long would come to pass. And then imagine the following. I'm reading from Genesis 22 from verse 1, um, from the ESV, if you want to join, um, to verse 19. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham... And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men, men, young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on, his, on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father... And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar, on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, 
Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Hectic, eh? You just see this dad. I just watched a clip on uh, YouTube of a movie that was made about the story. And you just watch this dad, like, climbing this mountain with his son. And he's carrying this wood. And his son, no, they're going to sacrifice. But there is no, there is no sacrifice. And he asks him, what are we going to do? And he says, we're going to worship. And he actually takes, he actually, just picture this in your mind. He, they reach the top of this mountain, this son that he loves, his only son. The other son was chased away. The son that he loves, that represents all the promises God had given him. And he starts to pile one rock upon the other, building an altar. And he sets the wood on that altar. And he picks up his son. I think, his, I think Isaac was about 11, 12, or 13 around then. He pick him up, picks him up in his arms. And he lays him on the wood. So his son knows what's happening. And he binds him to the altar. And his son is like, Dad, what are you doing? And he's like, we have to obey God. We have to love God. We have to follow God, no matter the cost. I love you, my son. This can seem such a cruel picture if you don't know God's heart. It can seem like such a wicked picture, like who would do that? But actually, it was, it was God's grace towards Abraham, for Abraham to see what was in his heart. God's grace not to allow Abraham to have even the promise that he gave him as an idol before God. And as he's about to bring down that knife, God says, stop. <laughs> now I know that you love me. Now I know that you fear me. And I've made provision for the sacrifice. This is your son. And you're going to live old. You're going to see this boy grow up and see the descendants come through him. Wow. There's a couple of specific scriptures that I just want to just want to highlight the first one is Genesis 22 verse 1, which says, the Amplified actually said, from a translation that I read, it said, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He tested Abraham. The Amplified version actually says, he tested and proved Abraham. God is all-knowing, right? He's, um, he's omniscient is, what, is, is another word for all-knowing. And so, he knew what Abram would choose. But still, he knew that Abram had to go through that experience, perhaps to reach that point in his heart, or for Abraham to see what was in his heart. And so the test was as much a proving of what he had gone through and an encouragement to Abraham as it was a testing of where his heart was at. Right? That's the God that we serve. Verse 5 says, Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and the boy will, and, 
I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. He saw this as a worship. Imagine how heartbroken he must have been. Imagine how oh, utterly heartbroken he must have been. But he knew that sacrificing out of a place of obedience was a worship. He understood that obeying God, no matter the cost, obeying God, no matter the cost, is the ultimate form of worship. And he was saying, we're going to worship. This is what we're going to do. And in as much as, oh, I love singing in church, and I, I think it's imp so important that we sing corporately God's praises, but our worship doesn't end there. Our worship is in unconditionally obeying him as soon as, as, soon as he speaks. And then verse 8 says, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. And just his faith in God's provision, his faith that you can imagine how that doesn't make sense because God had, like logically that doesn't add up. God had said, I'm going to give you a son and through this son, you'll become the father of nations. You'll have all these descendants. And now God is asking to sacrifice that thing through which the promise was going to come. And he had to believe that God would somehow still honor his promise, even though it looked totally impossible and natural. And so back to the vision of the, the white knuckles. What I felt God was challenging me with was, just sometimes holding on too tightly to things that were actually meant to be stewarded on God's behalf. There's a scripture in the, in the New Testament, I think it's in Corinthians, that says, what do you have that you have not received? And when we, when we die and go to heaven, hopefully, oh, hopefully Jesus comes soon and we can just go on the clouds. <laughs> but, um, when we go to heaven, there'll be a fire, and, and what, whatever we've achieved, whatever we've done, whatever we've accumulated on earth will go through that fire, and the fire will test whether those are things of eternal worth or whether those are earthly things. So everything we have, we've received, and we're meant to steward on God's behalf, every job, every relationship, every, all of those things. And sometimes we hold, I found myself holding on to a couple of things so tightly this past while, so tightly that my knuckles became white. And it's God's grace to bring me to this point to say, sure. and I ask myself, God, why do we do that? Why do we often grab onto these things that are often temporary things or human things, and we hold onto it as if our lives depended on it? Why do we do that? I don't, and... I think there are, many, there are many answers to that question. There are many reasons why we do that. But I think one of them is we don't, we don't have a revelation of the worth God puts on us as sons and daughters of Him. And so we try to find it in many of these things. We try to be validated in our worth through a relationship. Or we try to be to feel significant through accomplishing something in a certain vocation, or even if it's something that God had given us to do, we, tr we hold on to it so hard because we just want to feel okay. We just want to feel approved. I don't know if that's true for you. Maybe, maybe it is. Maybe it's not. Like I say, it's one of many reasons, but it's something that God had exposed in my heart. And um, 
And then I ask God the question, how do we maintain a healthy relationship? How do we maintain a healthy relationship with the things that he's entrusted to us? Whether it's a spouse, whether it's children, whether it's a job, whether it's a vision that he has given us, how do we maintain a healthy relationship with that that we don't hold so tightly that we can try and control it based on our understanding and based on our giftings and based on what we have access to in terms of resources, etc.? How do we steward it well to glorify God and be faithful and in many cases enjoy it? Like I really believe a lot of that stuff is for God's glory in the first place, but also for us to enjoy it. But sometimes when we hold so tight, we can't even enjoy it. We can't even see it for what it is. It's just like, Lord, how do we maintain a healthy relationship? How do we hold on to it? We're not negligent or indifferent or just complacent around it. We're also not holding on to it like if it were taken away, we would crumble and die. And, um, and there's three things that I felt that I felt the Lord highlight to me. The first one is around contentment. There's a scripture that says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. And Paul writes to the church and he says, um, I have learned to be content in all things, with plenty and with lack. I've learned to be content. I've learned to be okay no matter the circumstances, no matter the possessions, for that to be enough. And to have a state of peace regardless of what's happening around me. And, um, and I feel like that's the first one, just to ask God to, to restore a sense of contentment in our hearts if that's lacking. The second one is around stewardship. I mentioned earlier, you know, what do we have that we have not received? And um, acknowledging that the stuff we have received is from God and that we get to manage that on His behalf for His glory. For our enjoyment, for our sustenance, yes, in a lot of cases, um, but to be stewarded on His behalf. And that helps, that helps to not hold on so tightly. And, and finally, the third one, to maintain an eternal perspective. Like what matters if we think about eternity? What matters if we think about heaven and where we're going? Like how does what we're busy with and what we're obsessing over, what does that look like through the lens of eternity? Right? Where everything will be restored. There will be no more pain. There will be no more death. There will be no more crying. So that is coming. That is a surety. We don't know when each one of us is entering into that. But if we're in Christ and the blood of Jesus covers our hearts, then that's, that's what's going to happen. And so how does what we're struggling with and what's, what's standing in front of us, how does it fit into that picture? The band can come up. Um, I just, you know, I, we, are a, we have a pilot uh, tomorrow at work. It's, um, it's the biggest project, uh, uh, the most significant and strategic and complex project that I've worked on at, at our company in the five years that I've been there. It's been lots of changes and crazy deadlines and lots of scrutiny, not just in this company, but in the group that's a listed entity. And, and uh, tomorrow is the pilot and there's a lot of people there. And I found myself over the last two weeks holding onto this project so tightly. And time and time again, God was like, I want you to give this to me. I want you to do release this to me. And, to, and so on Thursday morning, my colleague who's working with me on the project is also a, also a believer. And we just, we just like repented of holding on to this project too tightly. And we thank God for every testimony that had, he had brought in this project over the last six months. And we, 
prayed and we just gave it back to God and we said, God, this is your project. This is, there's a lot of people that's going to be touched through this and this is your project. Come and breathe life into this. And the resources that were added to our project after that is just crazy. And problems being solved before we became aware of them. And alignment and favor with our client has just been, has really stunned me. And I realized I was holding so tightly because I was, maybe in one sense, I was, I was overly concerned of how the pilot and the rollout of this project would reflect on me, which is not necessarily what it's all about. And so I'm so, so thankful for God for bringing that. Most of you also know the story of um, our daughter, Talita, that um, we lost in the womb about a month ago. And... Um, and even with her, God said, release her to me. She's my daughter. I love her way more than you do. I can have her purpose and her calling come to pass without her setting a foot on this earth. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.